I'm Luka Doncic and this is Locked On Mavericks Podcast. This is gonna be huge. 360 in the contract. Never that. I just take the contact. I bring it back. I'm running on the fast break behind the back. Yeah, this that, this that, this that. Jerk with the And welcome. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. My name is Nick Angstead, and joining me, as always, my co-host, contributor at Mavs.com, the Pollen Playboy, the One More Thing King. What you got for me, Isaac Harris? You just called me the Pollen Playboy. <laughs> I haven't like sneezed in a ton. I went outside <laughs> and took a walk with my dog, and the allergies are killing me. But today is MB. And not NBA, God, I wish. Today is the NFL draft, and Nick here is a fan of the Cincinnati Bengals' number one overall pick. How are you feeling right now, and do you want Burrow? Okay, I know most people don't care about this, but grew up in Cincinnati, and I was a Bengals fan, you know, growing up, and... Then 2015 came. They played that playoff game against the Steelers. Vontez Perfect, Pac-Man Jones did all the ridiculous stuff, and I just gave up on them. I quit on the team. Like, I'm done. I don't even live there anymore. I lived in Dallas at the time. So I was like, I'm done. But now, starting to come back. I'm excited. I'm excited for the Burrow. The only thing that could make this bad is if somehow it gets the pick gets screwed up via the virtual draft but i'm i'm rooting for chaos in the nfl draft i just want anything crazy that could happen i hope it happens just somebody's mic stays on somebody's you know accidentally like their webcam falls down and you see like their board or something like i'm just i want something like that if the nba draft happens virtually who which front office is more likely to screw up something up technology was it's vlade divak right like that's the answer like, yeah that's the, the yeah I, sorry vlade that. but you know somebody takes somebody his mic's still on what a horrible effing pick <laughs> <laughs> it's like so horrible it's like whoa um oh i was gonna make a maury joke but i probably should stay away from those oh t- don't dare, Amari. <laughs> so, all right. On today's show, we are going to talk about Dirk with Ernie Johnson. He had a great conversation, an amazing conversation on TNT. It's on YouTube right now. Just search Dirk Ernie Johnson. That's the. It's the first thing that comes up. They have just a conversation about Dirk's journey, about uh, him and Holger, about his you know starting in the NBA, all that stuff. And it's really, really good. We thought we'd break some of it down and discuss some of it. And then you're going to be hearing from some of our good friends at Rejecting the Screen. It's a really great podcast where they interview some, uh, they interview like, I don't want to say niche, but like, and or I don't want to say fringe either, but like these these figures in the NBA, they've done Sean Marion, so that's like a big one, but they've done like Adam Morrison and they've done like Ryan Hollins and they've done like Robert Sacre and like guys sort of on the fringe, but these are guys that have been around some of the biggest stars and it's been a really good podcast. I've actually really enjoyed listening to those guys, Adam Stanko and uh, um, Noah Kozloff. And so I've really enjoyed listening to their podcast. So you're going to hear from them at the end. So, all right, Isaac, let's get into this. Um, so Dirk speaks with, with Ernie Johnson. Uh, the first thing that he, that he brought up was the story about Charles Barkley meeting Dirk, right? It's a famous story where they're playing this sort of pickup-ish game and just Dirk, you know, gave him hell right like Dirk was just scoring buckets on him scoring buckets on him and when Ernie asked the question Dirk was laughing so hard I found it so funny because he asked him uh he said Charles has told this story so many times I don't know what's true (laughs) 
<laughs> that was so good. Uh, he said the one part that is true for sure is that Charles Barkley did say, "If you if you want to come to Auburn, Auburn, the college he went to, I'll cash you in." <laughs> so good. That's incredible. See, I came in like a few minutes right after they started because. Uh, yeah, they've been hyping this thing up, uh, Ernie and, and Ernie Johns over TNT. There, it's been doing these live Twitter uh, things every, pretty much every day. Uh, I know he had Steve Kerr on uh, today, but it, first off, just in totality, absolutely incredible. What besides the last dance, this forty-five minutes of Ernie and Dirk. Probably my favorite quarantine content since uh, the NBA is shut down. But yeah, he, so he talks about he. I love when Dirk talked about visiting colleges when he was. This was later on, but he he mentioned how because. I'm not the biggest Kentucky Wildcat fan, even though I'm from Kentucky. Got a lot of friends that went to Kentucky and stuff. And but they a lot of people have always thrown this at me. They're like, hey, you know Dirk would have went to Kentucky. And I just I really have to eat it because it is a pretty like not that he would have for sure went there, but he did visit there. He was really interested in Planet Kentucky. So and he listed Kentucky and I think another college. Stanford or two. and Cal were the two other ones. Okay. And uh I'm just glad that he didn't go to Kentucky. So, yeah, he, so he's talking about how he came into the NBA and how, uh, you know, at the beginning, he wasn't really sure. He wasn't really sure of himself at all. He didn't think he was going to be a draft pick or anything. And he was looking at some contingency plans, maybe visiting, you know, he had visited a couple of colleges and he didn't have an agent at the time of the draft. So he could have, if he didn't get drafted, he could have still gone to college, like Isaac said and done that um and so he didn't really think but then then he went on that um what was it the summit game where he kind of balled out and it's kind of an infamous story now where he went and played and he was really really good and so then uh he does obviously get drafted and he revealed that he didn't watch the draft because it wasn't on tv uh in germany so he just he didn't watch it at all he was just working out with holger doing whatever and he didn't fascinating though he didn't even watch the draft like that's wild to me the dude said he legitimately woke up the next morning with a phone call from like um, um, the Nelsons and it's like, hey, we got <laughs> like the fact that you can go to bed and knowing that the draft is happening. And, you know, he knew he knew pretty like he knew he was going to get drafted. I mean, fairly high after that hoop summit. He, yeah. Like the hoop summit. You know, he he puts he talks about this in this video. It put him on the map. I mean, everything. I think Tim McMahon wrote about that uh, about that whole game for him. I guess last year it was an incredible piece. Just talked to different people about that game because he goes into his hoop summit, puts up thirty three points, and just set it sets a record for the hoop summit. And it's like whoa, like everybody was put on notice about this skinny German kid. And yeah, just I think that whole portion of Dirk talking to Ernie about. I mean, we always heard about it from like in different stories that how uncomfortable he was at the beginning and how he's kind of unsure and he's not as confident of a guy. And, you know, he talks about all that. But just the transition, if he was going to come over and even if he wanted to come over, what the Mavericks had to do to try to get him to come over. And I just thought all of that was fascinating. It's so interesting. He said that he was so nervous to come over. He had a pro con list about coming over to play in the NBA if he did yes. get drafted. And what was on that? Yeah, well, I wonder. <laughs> Maybe we should come up with that list. Uh, but he even thought he could go back to Europe if it doesn't work out. He said if he flamed out in the NBA in a couple years, he could still come back and play in the European League, which is just like Dirk is one of the twenty-five greatest players ever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? 
it didn't work out for him. That's so wild to me. The fact that that was just an afterthought for him of, you know, once I sign the rookie deal, you know, I can always go come back in like three or four years. And it's like, bro, you're like an all-timer now. And that he was that. And I think you, I mean, you still see that in his DNA till now. It's just how he, in the 20 seasons in the NBA and just his self-deprecating humor and just, it was never about him. And it's just, whether it turned in from no confidence to just humility forever, it's just, it just shows you a glimpse of even young Dirk. He just still wasn't confident in who he was. Yeah, which is just, it's crazy. The fact that he wasn't confident, still, he came over, had a really rough first year, which we all know, and then he turned into one of the greatest players ever, which is just one of the, one of the greatest, like zero to a hundred stories, right? From Dirk. Uh, all right, coming up, let's get into some more about Dirk. I also have some stats I want to talk about with Dirk that I was diving into today, so we'll talk about that. But before we do, Isaac Harris. If you guys are listening and you don't skip right now, what are you doing? Stop skipping this because I'm giving you some announcements. We are doing a live mailbag on Thursday, April 23rd. It's going to be at 2 p.m. Central Time. I think that works out to like 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. over in uh, Slovenia and Germany. So if you guys over in Europe want to be part of our mailbag on Hot Mic, Download the Hot Mic app, use the code Nick Van Exit, and follow me, Nick Van Exit, and you guys can come hang out with us and do a live mailbag. We've been doing these consistently on thursdays and so they've been they've been a ton of fun we we do an extra like 30 minutes or so just on hot mic so if you want to come and hang out with us for a little while you can come and do that ask some live questions the group has been pretty fun uh we usually do game pods every other week we've been doing fantasy draft and so that's been fun and so come hang out with us and do a mailback nothing from isaac all right also isaac harris (laughs) If you're like me, you probably start thinking what you want to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. I just did this. And I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant I can think of, but Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make life easier with grocery delivery and whatever I can think of delivery too. Convenience stores, clothing stores, anything, you name it. And this obviously can be used in a quarantine. I mean, think about all the things that you could get delivered to your house. You can Postmate it. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. You don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. So download the app, you get seven days to use $100, which you could blow through that. I mean, you can blow through that pretty quickly in seven days with this quarantine. Start your free deliveries, download the app, and use code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right, Isaac, let's get into the rest of this interview with Dirk. So one of the things that I found really interesting was the fact that he talked about how he got hazed a little bit as a rookie, um, he talked about like Samaki Walker or, or somebody as whoever his vet was would uh, like punt balls and he have to have to, he'd have to go like chase them down and go on. He mentioned AC Green, Robert Pack. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he said yeah. that that's pretty much phased out of the game right now. What do you think about rookie hazing and the fact that it's just not really a thing anymore? Like JJ Redick has talked about this on his podcast with Zion. Like you can't really haze Zion, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you pr- can. He probably would go along with it, but. Uh, he's the larger-than-life figure. I mean, it's just wild. Yeah, you got to have some form of, of rookie hazing. And But it's I mean, just I not in the game it, anymore. It's not there. 
Yeah, I think it's it's probably tampered down some, but you know, like small stuff, like the like Jalen Brunson having a Hello Kitty backpack. I mean, stuff like that. That's that's fun. You know, having Jalen Brunson carry you know Dirk's bags to the plane or something like that. Like stuff like that. I think it's okay. Like. I think there were more hardcore things that happened in the past, but small stuff should happen. And if you're a rookie, I don't care if you look like Zion or not, and you're an incredible Hulk. Like you still, you want your locker. It's just part of it. You pay your dues and you do your rookie stuff. Buy donuts and bring them to the team. Yeah, I think going on runs like that, right? Like going on a run for for donuts or going on a run for you know some kind of food or something. That's you know, if you can't use Postmates, you might as well use the rookies, right? Yeah, I mean it's what Nerland should have done. <laughs> oh, Nerlens. Nerlens should have used a rookie. Who was a rookie on that team? No, nah, he should have used an intern. <laughs> he should have just postmated a hot dog. <laughs> he could have used that promo code locked on NBA. Oh, man. I just thought that was interesting that he said it's pretty much phased out of the game. And, and Dirk didn't want to do it because a lot of. I wonder if it goes in waves like that where. You know, a, a, a generation of players gets hazed so badly that they don't want to turn around and do it. And so then they don't do it. And then the next players are like, why don't we haze anymore? We should haze these guys. And then they haze and they haze so bad that, you know, like, yeah. I wonder if it just goes in cycles like that. It probably does. It just depends. Yeah. Just depends on who the vets are and all that. Uh, the other thing I found really interesting in this article, not article, in this interview was uh, Holger and, and Dirk and Holger's relationship. The fact that him and Holger would go on vacations together and go backpacking, <laughs> stuff like that, where it's like a 25-year-old and a 60-year-old <laughs> going on vacation together, which is hilarious to me. The yeah, the the famous Australia vacation, you yeah. know, that, that trip for them, you know, it was the unplugged trip for Dirk and... This uh, is hearing him after 2007 when they lost in the first round. Dirk had won MVP, and he talks about that in this interview too. How embarrassed he was, and he just wanted to get away. And so that's when they did this backpack trip. Yeah, because it was back to back years. You know, you have 2006 and the heartbreak. You have that stuff happens in 07, and so yeah, he goes off and he talks about having to wait to do the MVP stuff and just his humility in that. He's like, I didn't want it. He's, I told him, just, can we just give it to somebody else? It was so. <laughs> he was talking about how embarrassing it was for him to get this MVP award, and it was just crazy. Yeah, and a, a player wins the MVP of the NBA and he's just so embarrassed and didn't even want it at the time because his team, you know, had just lost in an embarrassing way. So yeah, I love the Holger part too. I love when he was talking about Holger and uh, the methods that Holger would use and how just, um, how crazy they were at the time and how people in even Germany. Now. Yeah. Yeah. And how like people in Germany would like make fun of him and, and make fun of like the tactics he would use. And he, like yeah he used different examples one of them that stuck out was when he said that he's like yeah he had somebody come in and play a saxophone during practice and we had to like bounce to the like rhythm of the, the song like stuff like that's just it, it sounds crazy but their their relationship is so intriguing to me it's it's amazing yeah that was the that was the the one that i wrote down um but he Holger tried to keep Dirk well-rounded. And this is a thing that I think is a lesson in life that we can take from Dirk. Holger tried to keep Dirk well-rounded where he tried to get him to play different instruments. So we've seen Dirk play guitar and like he can play a little piano and uh, he would get him reading books and reading other things. And he got him to finish school, you know, finish college. And then there's all these different things. And then that saxophone, you know, rec- exercise was part of that too. And trying to integrate other things 
into you know Dirk's like routines and into Dirk's life so that he can be a well-rounded person and I, I honestly think it's part of the reason why Dirk is such an awesome human now is because he was so, so well-rounded you could see other areas of life use different parts of your brain and I just that really spoke to me and I really want to use that in my own life and try to branch out and do other things because I think we just get so stuck in routines especially right mm-hmm. now in this quarantine right like you get or social distancing you get stuck in I'm doing this and I'm doing this and for me I get stuck in like rewatching shows just rewatching old shows that I've seen I get all those like uh you know I guess sitcom-y type shows like com- like comedy type shows I just watch them over and over again and there's so many other better things I can do with my time than do that and so uh this section really spoke out to me I think that we can all take away from this and just try something new try something that you know we're not good at or we've never even tried in like an area of life that we've never really you know done before yeah yeah i love that i love how yeah he gave holger this credit of pushing pushing his boundaries outside the game of basketball and it made him a better person because of that my favorite story that dirk told him this was when he first arrived at dallas and he says he pulls he gets off the plane in dallas and there's hundreds of fans there and he's like man <laughs> oh, yeah they they love me they really want me here and all this stuff and he was so excited and he's like then i found out a few weeks later that those were all team employees <laughs> and uh, the owner had had them uh, come out there and support dirk arriving and so they're basically uh, paid to come out but which was hilarious and the owner was ross perot jr by the way it wasn't it wasn't cuban at the time which i i honestly had forgotten but um, yeah, I thought that was was so interesting. <laughs> yeah, those, those people yeah, and there were like three smaller things towards the end of this interview because you know Ernie and obviously the things we've talked about they kind of went through his career and hitting these benchmarks of his career but towards the end they hit these random things I didn't know if you want to touch on but they touched on the last dance he asked Dirk if he was watching the last dance he said absolutely Uh, obviously Scottie Pippen was at his you know final game and he talked about how much Scottie means to him and how Jordan is the goat and he's like for me Jordan will always be the greatest of all time and that was that was really cool and he went a Uh, step further and said that no one will ever surpass jordan as the goat which is pretty wild to think i love dirk and uh heck yeah two other things i hadn't even seen where cuban had said this i guess i just missed it somewhere but ernie and s dirk he said cuban has recently said that if you were in your prime with luca that you would be like mj and scotty and I hadn't seen Cuban say this, so I was like, oh, wow. And uh, Dirk answered it exactly like I would envision Dirk answering it. I'm like, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> and it did the whole, like, take a step back and how much, you know, how great that duo was and, and all of that. And, and that was great. And then he ends the whole thing I, or right at the end asking Dirk about the game of zone stuff. And he played it for him. Play it, yes. It was awesome to see Dirk just watch That's it. That's worth watching the video just to see Dirk's response to the, the game of game of zones. I just, yeah, I loved every bit of this whole interview with him and Ernie, and I, it was so fulfilling, and I could just watch them talk for two hours. How good would a Luca Dirk in their prime? Because we haven't seen Luca in his prime, by the way. We're, we're still not even there yet, but yeah. how good would a Luca Dirk prime tandem be? I mean, yeah, I don't even know if we'd really know, right? I mean, it's just imagine, imagining you know the best players that Dirk played with Dirk and, in his prime was not, was like a 67 win team <laughs> like, yeah imagine what him and Luca together would be that'd be insane 
I know. Just having, yeah, having a six foot eight JJ Barrett. No, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just hard, hard to hard to imagine them running a pick and roll and pick and pop and just having a score like the, you know, like Luca, like Dirk, they can counter each other and just how they how they would move, you know, Dirk off the ball, you know, yeah. with Luca handling the ball and you know opening up shots for for Dirk and you know, with Luca going through the lane and uh I I kind of imagine Luca with Tyson man like mm. what would Luca look like on that 2011 title team that would be uh in place of like Jason Kidd My in gosh. place of JJ Barea <laughs> okay, if he yeah. was actually 68 JJ Barea right like if he actually... <laughs> so yeah all the things that we talk about with Porzingis and scoring in the mid-range Dirk was you know a 100 at that <laughs> Right. Yes. And so that's where he would fill in all that. And man, that would be that would be quite the tandem. That would that would win three titles at minimum. Seven, not one, <laughs> not two. <laughs> all right, there you go. Okay, coming up, we're gonna listen to a segment from our friends at Rejecting the Screen. It's Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko. They interview some great guys. It's a best of segment. We're gonna hear from them. Uh, it's a really good podcast. So guys, appreciate it. Uh, and thanks so much for listening to us, Locked on Maps. Here's rejecting the screen. Hey, it's Noah Kozlov from Rejecting the Screen on the Locked On Podcast Network. Adam Stenko and I get together twice a week to talk hoops with folks who have touched the NBA on all sorts of levels, from all-stars, coaches, executives, and media members. Recently, the number three pick in the 2006 NBA draft, Adam Morrison, joined us to tell a story about how Kobe Bryant, his former Lakers teammate with whom he won two rings, went above and beyond to lift his spirits. It was a year after I was out, and so I wasn't playing, obviously, and I was really depressed, and I was basically a hermit in my own house, and I didn't go out in the community at all. And, and, you know, if he did, it was one of people asking, you know, why aren't you playing? And I was, you know, I'm 26 at the time or whatever I was, and, you know, number three pick, and just really low point in my life. and. I get a text from Robert Laura, the, the Lakers security. And it was Kobe's like one of his best friends and said, Hey, what's your address? Uh, I got something in the mail for you. And I get the package and it's um, an autographed jersey from Didier Drogba, um, who is my favorite player. I'm a Chelsea fan. You know, it was from Kobe. And game worn jersey, you know, signed Didier Drogba to Adam Best Wishes. And I always thought Kobe you know, made a phone call, which is, would be fine. It's still cool as shit. It's unbelievable. The night he passed, I'm scrolling through, reading everything, and I'm emotional. And on Chelsea's, you know, Instagram page, it's him with Didier Drogba holding up a jersey, and it says, to Adam, best wishes. So he went up to my favorite player, wow. got it signed for me without me even asking, and sent it to me when he knew I was was low. That's that's what Kobe Bryant was, man. He was just one of those dudes who understood his own aura. When four-time All-Star Sean Marion hung out with us, not only did he tell us that he tried to recruit Kobe Bryant to the Suns the summer that the Suns ended up signing Steve Nash and Quentin Richardson, he also told us that his 2006 Suns team should have won the title. In the 2011 preseason, his Mavericks teammate Jason Terry was so confident they'd win it all, he got a tattoo of the trophy. We was at Deshaun Stevenson's house. We had a game in Orlando, and um, we went to his house and you know, a few through the team, and uh, we was over having bar eating and stuff. And then this tattoo guy came over there, and Jet guy tattooed a uh, trophy on his on his bicep. 
I was like, damn, dude. I was like, for real? I was like, okay, okay. I'm loving it. I'm loving the the, the confidence and the swag we have right now. So like, just let alone don't nobody else know. Don't nobody else in the world know we do we doing this and we feeling this right now because everybody everybody in the league has aspirations. A lot of teams have aspirations to win championships, but it ain't but maybe a handful that actually actually can do it. You know what I'm saying? So we was one of those teams and. Like we sitting there going through this process and looking at this, and uh, yeah, we was like, yeah. Did he tell you, hey, I'm gonna get a tattoo of the trophy? Did you know as it was happening, or once he got it, he showed you, hey, he's got a tattoo of the trophy? Well, it was called, it was all kind of one sequence. We been, he's like, we won the championship this year. I'm about to get a trophy right now. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we were like, okay. That's what's up. <laughs> I mean. You don't get no better than that. Come on now. You don't get no better than that. Does it? Does it? Get no better than that. Kevin Willis never did win a ring, but he was an all-star and was one of the most dominant rebounders of his era. He spent year 16 of his career with the Toronto Raptors when Tracy McGrady was in year two and Vince Carter was a rookie. As expected, he had some pretty good advice for those kids. They used to call me OG, old head, things like that. <laughs> And I was, I think I was in my 15th year or somewhere up in there. And it was like, yeah, man. I used to tell him and T-Mac. I say, T-Mac, first of all, you need to, you need to stop falling asleep on the bench and practice. You, you got to stay awake. You, you, you keep falling asleep. I used to tell him and Vince, you guys rather hope that you get the 15 years. Because you, you little snot-nosed rookies. But, you know, they, they, were, they were great, great rookies. Great talent. Speaking of vets and rookies, when Suns legend Eddie Johnson got traded to Seattle, Gary Payton was a rookie point guard. And since everyone loves a good one about GP running his mouth, Eddie delivered. And I remember one day at practice, I was there for about two weeks. And I remember he kept disrupting practice. And here's a smart guy. He had, he had a right to talk in that regard because I got to know him. He really knows the game, obviously. Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest defenders ever. Now, but at the time, he was a rookie. And rookies were not supposed to talk under my watch. Because that's what it was for me. And I just couldn't get over the fact that this rookie kept talking. You know, and I let it go for two weeks. And I asked Nate McMillan, I said, is it a point in time, man, when you all like going to say something to him? And Nate was like, man, you know... (laughs) You know, Nate kind of shook it off. And I said, well, I'm going to say something. And lo and behold, one practice, he's got the yapping and, you know, coaches going over stuff and he yapping, he yapping. And I just finally said, would you shut the F up? About 15 years later in Seattle, P.J. Carlesimo was coaching the Sonics with rookie Kevin Durant. When P.J. came on the show, he revealed how ahead of the curve his staff was when KD was on the floor. One good thing we really did with him was we exposed him to a lot of things in terms of we played him at two, we played him at three, we played him at four, we put him in pick and rolls, we encouraged him to shoot threes. It's his only bad three-point percentage. If you look at his percentage year by year uh, in the NBA, it's far and away the lowest one. But again, uh, in those days, it was even a bigger jump from 
college three to NBA three. And Kevin didn't shoot a lot of threes uh, at Texas. And we, we had him do that. And at times we were criticized, like, why are they playing this guy at guard? Why, like, why are they putting him in pick and rolls? You know, why are they letting him dribble the ball up the court? Because he could. Staying with coaches, Brendan Haywood won a title with the Mavs in 2011. And when he joined LeBron in the Cavs under David Blatt, it was obvious when a head coaching change was needed. We could see late in ball games if he had to draw up plays. We could see he was super nervous. His hands would be shaking. He'd have to give the clipboard to Larry Drew. Larry Drew would draw the plays up. And when you see that, you understand. Like, this dude ain't ready. He's not ready for this. He's not ready for this. And it's not his fault because he he thought he was taking on a rebuilding project. And then next thing you know, LeBron James calls up David Blatt and says, I'm coming. And now instead of taking on a rebuilding project with Kyrie and Deion Waiters at the forefront of it, and Tristan Thompson, you have LeBron James and Kevin Love there, and now you're competing for a title. Uh, I just don't I, – I think just Coach Black got hit with too much too soon, but it was easy to tell right away that Coach Black was probably in over his head. Just like a head coach can lose a team, a woman can tear one apart as well. Butch Beard was an assistant with the Mavericks in the mid-'90s as Grammy Award-winning R&B singer Tony Braxton came in between stars Jason Kidd and Jimmy Jackson. I mean, it was, it, it ended up being Jason and Jimmy, all right? Jason, Tony. Tony's not caring about either one of them. And then the team was taking sides. So I'll never forget, we had, we, we, we had a damn team meeting. And I said, guys, it's a woman that's breaking us apart. And it's, if the woman is that good, please, I want to see what her mother looks like. Because I want to <laughs> date a mother. Come on. Entertainment and the NBA will always be intertwined. The first to do that on the media side was the New York Post's Peter Vesey, who was also the sideline reporter for the national broadcasts on NBC. We asked Peter about his post-game interview with Carl Malone after the Jazz lost in the finals to the Bulls in 1997. The YouTube clip is titled, Peter Vesey tries to get punched. Carl was always a great interview. He would never not answer a question. You know, we really didn't get along. I, I disliked him on many levels, respected him on many other levels as a player, but, you know, he was a dirty player. And the first time that they showed it to me, I didn't even remember it. Okay. So I did this interview. I had no agenda. I was just going to ask him some tough questions, and um, I didn't care how tough because I really didn't like him. So, <laughs> but I knew he was going to answer them. <laughs> so, so I, I wasn't. I didn't feel unsafe, and I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. And it really never, it never dawned on me that that came off the way it did. You know, my son would say to me, "I said, wow, like, what were you, what were you thinking?" So that was just doing my job, but I, I, uh, I had no mindset going in other than I knew he was going to answer my question. In 1997, former head coach Hubie Brown was broadcasting for TNT, but five years later was hired by Jerry West mid-season to coach the Memphis Grizzlies. Point guard Earl Watson was in his second year with the team and was thoroughly confused when it all went down. Jerry West introduced Hubie. I'm 22 years old. We're in Memphis losing franchise first time in my life i ever been a part of anything that was losing so it's all new to me just everything was like new to me i never i it made me it almost made me sick he introduces hubie brown and i'm thinking 
I got to call Bob because we just hired a TNT guy. This is crazy. <laughs> I didn't know his full resume, right? <laughs> so the first thing he says to us, he takes the podium and he says, first, I would like to say, you all are fucking losers. <laughs> None of you are winners. If you was a winner, the other guy wouldn't be packing his stuff with his family. See, you got on fire. You're fucking losers. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. I'm going to teach you how to be a winner. The Bob that Earl referred to was Bob Myers, his agent at the time and now the president of the Golden State Warriors. Stories like these are a taste of what rejecting the screen sounds like every week. So we hope you'll join us by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify, or download and listen wherever you get your podcasts.